All right. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for that warm welcome. Uh, like our brother Sam mentioned, uh, my name is Kay. I've, uh, I'm currently serving as an interim lead pastor at uh, Good Stewards Church. And, um, you know, I've been preaching there for about three years now. Uh, but I do not consider myself a gifted preacher in any sense, uh, especially in front of uh, your pastors who are just so gifted in that area. So I want to be honest, um, I have no idea why I was asked to come and preach the word today. And that's not like some false humility, some reverse psychology here. I, I mean that from the, my heart. But at the same time, uh, I consider it an absolute honor and a privilege and a joy to be here with you guys to, to worship with you and to, and to fellowship in the word together. Um, I, I have been a fan and a friend of your church for, for, for many, many years now. Uh, I think I've come as a, a guest worship leader for just a few things here, members retreat and um, college retreat. And basically when you guys didn't want to serve, you just invited me. <laughs> so uh, I, I've come for that before. Uh, I've given a seminar at one of your college events on a Friday and I was never invited back. Um, I've admired your church's basketball league from, from afar uh, for many years. And uh, some of my best friends actually are members at this church. So I've been keeping up with this church for years, for a while. And I've been praying for you from the sidelines and rooting you on. Uh, and I also wanted to let you know that our church has, uh, we've, we've been praying for you guys through the month of August. And so every Friday we've been praying for uh, JLMC. And I, I just want to let you know that. Uh, I'm a friend and, and our church is, uh, I, I, we're, we're partners in the gospel. So um, for those reasons and, and many more reasons uh, for which I just don't have enough time to share, uh, I'm just so glad to be here with you um, and to share the word with you. I'm going to be speaking on the specific topic of singing, of congregational singing. Um, but before we open up the word together, we want to go to God in, in prayer and we want to ask for the Spirit's help, because uh, even in our coming to God, uh, we need him just so desperately. So uh, let me qu quickly pray on our behalf, and uh, we'll take it from there. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for giving us another Sunday where we can gather as your people to worship you for who you are, and to give you thanks for what you've done and what you continue to do in and through your Son. God, we, we continue to live through the brokenness of our sins and of this world. And we are so painfully reminded of that through what's been going on in this world. We're painfully reminded of that, uh, of the brokenness of our sins, not just outside of us, but even inside. But even then, we come before you this morning with confidence and with hope and with gladness and joy. Because we know, we believe by faith. That you're a God of mercy. We believe by faith that you're a God who works all things for the good of your people and for your own glory. So God, I ask in prayer that you would strengthen my brothers and sisters here. Strengthen me so that we might continue to trust you through this difficult season of our lives. And Lord, as we sit under your preaching, under the preaching of your word, now we pray for your help. We pray for the preacher that he would speak your words and not his. We pray for the listeners that they would receive and respond to your words with worship and we pray that through our time, Christ will be exalted through the preaching of the word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I grew up a big Laker fan, as I'm sure many of you did as well. And this is completely irrelevant to the sermon. But I just want to say, Laker Nation, we going to the ship this year. We going to the ship. Um, big Laker fan. And as a fan, I'm crazy about watching the games. 
And I'm talking about like all the games. Like all the games. <laughs> I'll make it a point to try to watch all the games, at least the ones I'm allowed to watch legally anyway, if you know what I mean by that. And I don't just like to watch all the games going on, but I like to watch them from the beginning to the end because I, I, I want to catch the flow of the game. I want to see how the players respond afterwards. Right? And this is something that you might find strange about me, but I have this weird thing about being there for the tip-off. Like I, like, I don't know why, but it's a big deal for me to be there for the tip-off. Right? I remember when my wife and I were dating, I would plan our dinner date. And this is an honest confession. But I would plan our dates according to the Lakers schedule. Right? Oh, it's 7 o'clock. You hungry? <laughs> Let's go eat. Right? And I'm on Yelp and I'm like, oh, this place looks good. This place looks yummy. But in my mind, I'm thinking, like, do they have TVs though? <laughs> and my wife, being from the Bay Area, she's, she's a Warrior fan. Um, so she could really care less about these Lakers games. But she'll tell you. And I'm not joking when I say this. I've pushed the limit, you know, the speed limit before. My confession before you guys. I've made a few sharp turns before just so I could be there for the tip-off. And then there were, there were those rare occasion when, occasions when we would get there in time or a little bit early. And they're playing the national anthem. The players are lined up. And they're singing the national anthem together. And it's like, we're good. We made it in time. I'll be right back. I'm going to go use the restroom. And no offense to the flag or anything like that, but that's just not what I came for. <laughs> I didn't come for the national anthem. I came for the game. Right? After all, it's just a song. Right? It's just a song. And I wonder how many of us actually think that way when it comes to the songs we sing at church. I wonder how many of us treat our corporate worship like we treat the national anthem. You love the Lord. Don't get me wrong about that. You love the Lord. You're here for the sermon. For the preaching of God's word. But when it comes to the singing of the church, we don't really need to be there for that. It's not as important as the preaching of the word, right? 15 minutes late to church, no problem. They're just songs. Could YouTube it later. I don't know if it's like this at GLMC, but over at GSE, over at my church, I see a revival every Sunday. I usually sit in the front row because i got to get up there to preach. And I'll look around to see who's here with me and just say hi. And, uh, and, and the songs will start. We'll start singing. And I'll close my eyes. And we'll go through the singing and the announcements. And I'll get up to preach. Uh, and it's like 90 people that just came out of nowhere. I'm like, where did you guys come from? <laughs> right? It's like a revival every Sunday. Or at least that's what I tell myself to feel, my, to feel better about that. But maybe that's you. Maybe you're always late to church. And you know what? That's okay. Just songs. Or maybe you don't really think that the time of singing that we have together isn't as important as fill in the blank. Maybe you think the songs that we sing are just fillers. Something to fill the time until the real thing comes. Maybe some of us don't even know why. We sing as a church in the first place. Maybe you know it's important. Like you know that it's a church thing. It's a God thing. But you're not quite sure why we sing as a church. If you're taking notes this morning, we're going to be working through this simple and yet significant question together. And the question is this. Why should we sing as a church? Why do we sing as a church? As Christians and as a church, why do we do what we do? Right? Why, why do we sing? 
And I hope to give you seven reasons why the church should sing. Now, before you start throwing things at me, like, what, seven points? You serious, man? Let me just say this, that my church members know that uh, when I preach a two-point sermon, they're about to be there for a while. Because those two points aren't just two points, right? There's sub-points to that. Uh, but they know that when I'm giving like a six, seven-point sermon, it's, it's shorter. It's shorter. Okay? I'm just trying to calm us down a little bit. Um, also, um, the Spirit of God convicted me last night to try to condense the sermon a little bit more. And so uh, there might be some moments where I'm just, just up here just in silence. Either I'm having a moment with God or I'm just slicing and dicing stuff on the spot here. Right? So I just want to ask you for your grace. Um, but either way, I'm going to try my best to, to move us along with pace. But here's the question. Why should we sing? Number one, because God created us to sing. Because God created us to sing. We sing because God created us so that we might sing his praises. Right? And just to be clear, there's nothing in the Bible that directly tells us that we were created to sing about God's glory. Right? But, but consider these words in Zephaniah 3, 16 to 17. Right? It's talking about Israel's restoration. And on that day, it says in verse 16, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And he will exalt over you with loud singing. Right? Zephaniah is prophesying words of comfort for Israel as they wait for the day of judgment, as they wait for the day of restoration. But look again at verse 17. What kind of God do we see in verse 17? We see a God who sings over his people. And we don't know what God's singing sounds like. We don't know how loud it is. But the point here is that we have a God who sings over us. A song of salvation. A song of joy. A song about his love. And if we have a creator who created us in his own image after his likeness and he sings, that means we have reasons to sing as his creation. We sing because God sings. We sing of his glories because God sings of his glories. If you've ever wondered why you even exist in this world today, this is why you were created to sing about the glory of your creator. Why else should we sing? I just sliced the whole thing, whole bunch of section right there. Why else should we sing? Number two, because God commands us to sing. We sing because God created us to sing. We sing because God commands us to sing. And this is one of those points. It's like, all right then. <laughs> Let's sing. Let's go home. Let's sing. But, but let me share this. There are almost 400 verses in the Bible that talk about singing. That, that's a lot of verses. 400 verses in the Bible that talk about singing to God. And almost 50 of them are direct commands to sing to him. Right? We see that all over the Psalms, and for time's sake, I'm not going to read those verses. Right? Sing to the Lord a new song. Right? Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. And it's not just the Psalms, but it's in Isaiah. It's in Colossians. It's in Ephesians. God's word calls us, each and every one of us, and especially his church, to sing. And we're not going to dwell on this point too long because it's just, it's just straightforward, right? But, but the bottom line is this. If you consider yourself to be a Christian this morning, which means you consider Jesus to be not only your Savior but also your Lord, 
who you obey, you have reasons to sing his praises because he commands you to. If this is a church that's committed to the Bible, then the members of this church must make it a point to sing with the congregation. We must take it seriously. And that doesn't mean you need to be serious during the singing time. What I mean by that is make it a priority. Love the time that you have to sing together. Engage with the truths of the songs. Enjoy the music of the songs. Sing joyfully. Sing worshipfully to your creator. Why should we sing? Because the head of the church. Because Jesus commands it. Number three. Why else do we sing? Because our singing helps us to respond to God's grace. And the key word there is to respond. And here's why. Because worship is fundamentally a response to God. That's what worship is fundamentally. It's a response to God. Worship is always a response to who God is and what he's done. Or if I could put it another way, our worship to God is a response to God's revelation as well as his redemption. I like how one pastor once put it before. He said this, worship is a beautiful dance between God's revelation and our response. And I think that's such a cool picture. Worship is a beautiful dance between God's revelation and our response. And if you were to look through all 400 verses in the Bible that we talked about, about singing, you'll find that it's either a response to who God is or what he's done. Worship is always a response and, and we can even take our own lives as an example, right? Think about the time. This, this is about your lives. Now think about the time where your worship to God was just rich. Think about that one, maybe you miss it. Think about that one time or those times where your singing to God was just rich before him. Was it not a response to who God was or who he is to you? And was it not a response to what he has done for you on the cross? Right? It's always a response. And then on the flip side, think about the times where your worship was dull, where your singing was dry. Wasn't it because you're trying to come to God apart from his revelation and apart from his redemption? Wasn't it because you had made worship about yourself and not about God? The point is this, even our worship to God, it does not start with us. It starts from God, it flows through us, and it goes back to him. And what singing does in the church is it helps us to respond to God's revealed grace. It gives us words to respond with. It gives us a voice to express our worship to who God is and what he has done for us. It's always been the case for the people in the Old Testament. It's a pattern of the New Testament. And it will always be the case for God's people of every generation. Look at Exodus 15. This is right after the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea and and God had delivered them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Exodus 15 verses 1 to 2, it says this. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed uh, gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. 
I want to point out, I said verse 2 again. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. They're singing this anthem of salvation as one body. But do you see how their singing came as a response to God's redemption? What about Colossians 3.16? It says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul's encouraging us to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts. He's calling the church to sing. But look where the singing comes from. It's coming from the dwelling of God's word. In other words, as the word of God takes seed in our hearts, it bears fruit in our lives. And one of the fruits of God's word dwelling in us is our singing. It's an expression of joy towards God. Brothers and sisters, I, I don't know what you think about the songs you sing at church. I don't know what you think about the time of singing that you get to have as a church. But I hope you realize with me that when we sing as a response to who Jesus is, we're living out Colossians 3.16 together. And that is so cool. <laughs> think about that. Like we think of the Bible as just a distant thing from us. But when we respond to God in singing, we're living out Colossians 3.16 today in our lives. And when you sing as a response to God's salvation, we're singing the song of Moses, right? That anthem of salvation is continuing from Exodus 15 to 2021. And as a church that's been bought by the blood of Jesus, we have the ultimate revelation and we have the ultimate redemption in Jesus, right? When there was no way to the Father, there was no way to God because of our sins, God revealed to us his son, who lived a life of worship that you and I could never live. And Jesus died the sinner's death that you and I deserve. So that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, no matter what you've done, no matter why you did it, no matter how long you've been gone from him, no matter what, you could be forgiven as white as snow. And not only that, when we trust him, we are now counted as children of God in his everlasting kingdom and family. If we truly believe this gospel, if we truly believe this to be the good news for our souls, wouldn't it be inappropriate to stay silent and not love to sing about it? I mean, imagine, right? Imagine, wouldn't it be strange? Imagine this, on a wedding day, both the husband and the wife are just silent, right? For the first time, announcing Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so. Just walking down the hall silently. There's no cheering. It makes no sense, right? If I was at that wedding, I'd be like, yo, this couple is weird. Like serial killer weird. I'm out of here, right? Church, when you and I remember the gospel together, we don't respond in silence. We respond with singing. And that is an expression of our thankfulness and our joy and our worship to God. And it's singing that helps us to express these things. I mean, we sang these words earlier, right? What sacrifice the Father made to crush the Son who bore our shame, yet raised him up to glorious day to give us hope and a holy name. 
these the songs like this, it grounds our gratitude deeper and it carries our worship higher. Singing is like spiritual lighter fluid, <laughs> if you like fire. It's a weird point, but you know what I mean. Singing helps us to respond to the gospel. So we should sing because God created us to sing. We should sing because God commands us to sing. We sing because our singing helps us to respond to God's grace in our lives. Number four, why else do we sing as a church? We sing because our singing realigns our affections to God. It realigns our affections on God. Now, I'm taking a bit of a personal angle here. But this is why we need to love and guard our time of singing together as a church. It's not just a filler, but we need to love it together. Because in our singing, we're grabbing a hold of our fickle hearts and we're realigning them back on God. And, and I don't know what you think about your affections towards God. Maybe you think you're faithful to God. Me? My affections for God are anything but faithful. And I know I'm not alone here. One moment I could be up here proclaiming the glories of God. Next moment, as soon as I step down, who knows what. Who knows what I'll be chasing after to bring me security and worth and joy and happiness. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And there's a reason why these lines hit so hard for us when we sing that song. There's a reason why even hands go up, even at conservative churches. It's like, what? And it's not because we feel our affections on fire for God when we sing this song. It's actually because we can feel our affections running away from God. Sometimes, even as we're singing those exact lines. Like, I feel this every week as a preacher. Well, I feel it every day, but especially on Sundays, I, I just feel this so much. There's this pressure to perform up here. So many eyes are on you. So many opinions to appease. And the temptation of the pulpit is to bring glory to myself. And I'll never say it that way. I'll never say that I'm seeking glory for myself. But that's exactly what's going on in my heart. I want people to love God. Don't get me wrong. Through my preaching, even today, even this morning, I want you to love the Lord through my preaching ministry here. I want you to love God. But can I be honest with you? I want you to love me too. I do. I do. And that's so twisted, right? It's so disturbing that we can take even the good things of God and we can twist it ever so slightly so that even the good things that we're doing for the Lord, it's ultimately about us. And this is just my honest confession before you this morning. My affections are fickle. They're twisted. They're sick. But here's where I experience God's grace. When I sing with my brothers and sisters in the gathering of believers. When I join in in these songs... It realigns my thoughts. It realigns my desires to seek God's kingdom and not mine. And this is the other revival I see every Sunday. Right? Remember there's a revival that I see from 9.30 to 9.55. <laughs> this is the other revival that I go through every Sunday. This is my personal revival when I sing with my brothers and sisters at GSC. 
these songs that we sing about God's kindness, about God's goodness, his mercies, his glories, they remind me in such a deep way that my preaching is not about me. My ministry is not about me. My own life is not about me. But it's about the, the, the glory of the one who saved me. And you know what? For most of you, it's not preaching. It's not ministry. Maybe it's not glory or praise that you're craving in your hearts. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's comfort that you desire more, uh, more than you desire God. Maybe it's attention or acceptance from somebody else. Maybe it's your parents, your friends, or your crush. Maybe it's status or reputation that you're trying to keep up, that's pulling you away from God. Parents, maybe somewhere down the line of, down the road of parenting, you've grown to love your children more than you love your Savior. And we can go on about what might be pulling your affections from God, but I hope you see it for yourself. That because of our fallen hearts, we have fallen affections for God. But it's the singing of the church that reminds you there's something more beautiful than that. There's something more worthy than the thing that you're going after. There's something more beautiful and desirable than the things, that thing that's consuming you. And it's a singing of the church that realigns our hearts back on God. And that's why we must love it. It's why we must guard it. And that's why we, might, we need to join in on it regularly. But here, in all this, maybe you're wondering at this point, okay, that's true, it's good. But show us where you see that in the Bible. All right, where in the Bible do you see an example of somebody realigning their affections for God? Show me. Turn to Psalm 103 with me. I'm just going to read verses 1 to 5. And, and they're very similar words uh, from, with, with the call to, call to worship that we read this morning. But it says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The psalmist, he's talking to himself. Maybe you talk to yourself. <laughs> or maybe some of you think it's weird to talk to yourself. But the psalmist, he's talking to his own soul. And he's realigning his own soul back to God, right? He's telling his own soul, don't go after those things of this world. Go after the Lord. He's worth it. And don't forget how good he is. Remember his mercies. Remember how he saved you. Remember his love for you. But look what's going on in Psalm 103. All of this is happening through a song, right? The Psalms, they're, they're poems and they're songs, right? Psalm 103 is a song. All of that is happening through singing. And if I could ask you to examine your own souls before God this morning, what has been the temperature of your affections for God this morning? Do you have a, is your temperature hot? Is it cold? Is it lukewarm? Do you find yourself thinking about being rich in this world? More than being rich in God's kingdom. Is your heart fickle like mine? 
can I encourage you? Sing. <laughs> Sing. Sing songs like 10,000 reasons that make Psalm 103 your song and your prayers. And when you sing these songs, don't just sing it like it's just, just another song that we go through. But sing wrestling with your own soul and realigning your affections to God. It is God's grace to us. The singing of the church is God's grace to us, if you put it that way. Number five, why do we sing as a church? Because our singing makes disciples of Jesus. Because our singing makes disciples of Jesus. In other words, our singing or in our singing, we're making disciples of Jesus. And, and I obviously don't mean it in a way where if you sing the gospel, then people are going to come uh, to Christ left and right unless you have a beautiful voice like our brother Sam here. But, but what did Jesus say when he gave the great commission? He says this in Matthew 28, right. All authority in heaven and on, and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is Jesus' commission to the church, to make disciples. And no, this isn't a calling for missionaries out there. This is the calling of the Christian, to make disciples, to be disciple-making disciples. But how does that happen? Two things, by baptizing them or bringing them to faith, or by teaching them, showing them how to follow Jesus. And it's the second aspect of our mission, teaching that we're talking about. In other words, one of the ways that we can make disciples of Jesus and advance God's kingdom is by singing, is by our singing. What do I mean by that? How does that work? Let me tell you by putting it another way. I don't think it's a secret that people these days uh, know more um, or way more <laughs> song lyrics than scripture, right? I've also heard it that, that, that people remember songs we sing at church long after the sermon is forgotten. And I'm not offended by that. <laughs> I forget my sermons in like a week. I'll probably forget the sermon next week. <laughs> people remember way more song lyrics than scripture. And that's because music is sticky, Right? It sticks to our memories. It's, music is powerful, right? It, it sticks to us. And it's why we use music to teach our little ones and to remember things for ourselves. And I don't know if you can relate with me here, but there are so many mornings where I just wake up and there's a random song just stuck in my head. You guys, anyone feel me on that? No? <laughs> like sometimes I wake up and there's like Britney Spears playing. It's like, what? Where did that come from? Sometimes it's the musical. Oftentimes it's Les Mis. Sometimes it's Eminem, <laughs> but that's because I used to listen to it before the Lord has saved me. It's amazing how much we remember even song lyrics from five years ago, ten years ago, twenty years ago to this day. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If it's true that we remember more song lyrics and scriptures, then I think the church should make it a point to have our songs be filled with scripture. So that we are receiving biblical teaching and biblical truths through the song. So through the songs that we see up there and the, and the songs that we sing, we're learning and we're relearning what it means to follow Jesus together. And that song carries us from Sunday to Monday and from Monday to Tuesday and so on and so forth. 
You see, the songs that we sing together and the songs we sing at home, they're actually more than just preferences of tune. It's more than just tunes. It's a reflection of our theology. And it's why somebody once said this, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. And I think the same goes for our lives, right? Show me your playlist. <laughs> Most of you guys are like turning it off, right? Delete, delete, delete. Show me your playlist and I'll show you your theology. I'll show you what you believe about God. I'll show you what you believe about yourself. I'll show you what you believe about this world. And it's the singing of the church. It's the singing of the church that disciples us. And so when we sing together, church, we're discipling one another through these songs. And that's why it is a grace for us today. Number six, why should we sing when we gather as a church? Because our singing builds up the body of Jesus. Our singing builds up the church. And, and you might think that is a strange idea, right? That the brother next to you gets built up when you sing. And the sister behind you gets built up and is edified when you sing. And you might be thinking, but isn't our worship about God? What do you mean our singing builds up the church? I mean, we're not against that idea. It's a good idea. But our worship is for God alone, isn't it? Well, the answer is no. And here's why. The picture of corporate worship that the Bible gives us isn't just vertical, but it's also horizontal. Right? Meaning biblical worship doesn't just bless God. It also builds the church. Look at what Paul wrote in Ephesians uh, 5, verses 8 to 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at these words. It says, don't fill yourself with alcohol, but fill yourself with the Holy Spirit which is a sermon for another time. I'll, I'll let your pastors handle that one. And, and look what these spirit-filled people do as a result of being spirit-filled. They address one another in psalms and spiritual sing, uh, songs and, and in hymns. So it, it doesn't just say meet together to sing. It doesn't say sing with one another. It says sing to one another. That's what it means to address one another with singing, right? And that might be kind of an awkward thing to visualize. Because in our AirPod culture, we're so used to having this isolated time with God. Right? Even at church. Like we'll come here, uh, we'll look around to see who's next to us. But once the music starts, it's you and God. Right? Our eyes are stuck on the screen. Our minds, our hearts are all just stuck on the screen. And, and, and a lot of us like to... To consider this time of singing as, as a me and God time. But that is far from what the Bible teaches us about worship today. The Bible calls us to sing to God, but also to sing to one another. And the application here isn't to be weird or creepy, right? Like, don't sing songs and, like, try to get eye contact with people. Like, that's weird, right? Yeah, you might have to go through church discipline after that. I don't know. But the point isn't, and the point isn't to you know, add more call and response songs uh, to your song list at church. No, the point is, 
Build each other up as you sing together in one voice. Don't consider this time as a me and God time. But, but, but think of this time as a me and God and us time. And that's not the cleanest way to say it, but you know what I mean by that, right? The point is, our corporate singing builds up the people around you. I want to share a quick story of when our church was built up just, just a few weeks ago. One of our members' father uh, was diagnosed with cancer uh, just a few months back. And, and unfortunately, they had found out a little bit too late. She knew, their family knew, he knew that uh, he didn't have that much time left. And, and, and that alone broke our hearts as members. Um, and, and long story short, his health declined very, very quickly. And he actually ended up passing away just about six weeks ago. And it was an especially tough loss for our sister because she had already lost her mother to cancer when she was just a little baby. And so now she's without both parents today at a young age of 23. Not only that, she had a complicated relationship with her father when he passed away. And that was just hard to sift through, as you can imagine. The funeral happens on that Saturday. And we got to come around her as members uh, to pray for her and to bless her. And because I knew she'd be grieving uh, the day after as well on Sunday, I told her to feel free to stay home and grieve and just rest. And I don't know if that was the right thing to say as a pastor. I'm not sure. I was just looking out for her. But the day passed and Sunday rolls around and I see that she had decided to come to church that morning, uh, that Sunday morning. And, and I didn't know this until it actually happened. But our worship leader for that Sunday had the sensitivity to choose a song, It Is Well With My Soul. And, and I wasn't sure how that would go, uh, just given how heavy things were. But, but when we started singing that song together, <laughs> there, there was this unspoken unity that we felt as we sang. There was this unity that we felt as we expressed our own losses in this world. And there was a unity as we just grieved with our sister in that time. As you can imagine, there was sniffling in between words. There was a, there was a it was like, you could, you could taste prayer in the room. And even though we were facing the screen, it really felt like we had surrounded our sister our grieving sister, and we were addressing her with our song. And here's the thing, like, we didn't even have to talk about it. We just knew as a church. We knew that she was built up in courage and in comfort. We knew that we were built up in, in love and in prayerfulness through our singing. It really was a me, God, and us moment. Because we felt our church being edified through that time. And the application here isn't to do what my church did or to try to manufacture something that other churches are doing. But the application here is when you sing, remember that you're singing with your brothers and sisters. Remember that worship isn't just vertical but it's also horizontal. Pray for your brothers as you sing. Love on your sister as you sing. As we're singing that first song today. Come as you are. I was praying for us. I was singing to God and I was coming to the Father myself. But I was in prayer for us in hopes that it will edify this body today. And so the point is, 
We sing because our singing builds up the body of Jesus. In our singing, your brother is edified, your sister is edified. Finally, why should we sing? Because in our singing, we're setting our eyes on eternity. Our singing sets our eyes on eternity. In other words, when we come together like this and we sing of God's glory together, we're pointing each other to that day when Jesus will come back for us and we'll be joined with him in perfect joy and rest forever. Where do we see that in the Bible? Look with me at Revelation 5. I'm going to be reading from verses 1 to 10. It says this. This is John's vision of the end times unfolding before his eyes. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders uh, and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls uh, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people of God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Now, we're not going to get into the details of Revelation here. But there was a scroll which no one was worthy to open. And how that was judged and, and what was actually on the scroll is unknown. But here comes Jesus in verse 5. And he is found worthy to open the scroll and to do something that no man on earth could do. And what do we see as a response to this line of Judah? The root of David. We see singing. And the point I'm trying to get across is this. According to Revelation 5, there is singing in heaven. There is singing in heaven. Now, Flip a few pages to Revelation 15. Is what it says in verses 2 to 4. And I saw what appeared to be the sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image. And the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses. Right? They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the God of mighty, uh, God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. There's a lot going on there, but do you see it? Or should I say, do you hear it? According to Revelation 15, there is singing in heaven. And it's not just any song as you saw. Verse 9 tells us that the song that John heard in his vision 
was the song of Moses that we read and heard about in Exodus 15. And the point isn't that we're going to be singing these exact words and these exact rhythm, right? And it, this is the only song in heaven, like, and we're caught in this endless loop of that. No, that's not the point. The point is we'll be singing in heaven what God's people have always sang about, the anthem of God's salvation for us. And, and here's what that means. That means when people, when God's people gather today, we sing together of God's salvation. That is actually a glimpse of heaven. When we sing together, that's a glimpse of, like that is an actual glimpse of heaven. And I hope that helps you to appreciate and to love these Sunday gatherings more than ever before. Because when you come together and you take part in the Lord's Supper, and when you fellowship with your brothers and sisters here, and you sing, you are getting a literal sample of heaven. I don't know if you guys like samples here. I love Costco samples, and it's a dangerous place to be when you're hungry, right? Well, singing on Sunday together is a weekly sampling of heaven. But here's the thing. When Jesus comes again, there's no more sampling because we're going to get the real stuff. There's no more hoping. There's no more waiting. There's no more struggling. We're going to see God face to face. And he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And that's what we're doing when we sing together as a church. We're feeling the brokenness of this world. When we sing, we're grieving together. There's war, there's poverty, there's corruption, there's evil, there's darkness, there's sickness. There's heartbreak, there's depression. Hopelessness and loneliness and sin. And in our singing, we're recognizing that together. But at the very same time, in our singing, we're placing our eyes on the coming kingdom. A better kingdom where Jesus will rule and reign in kindness and in justice and in mercy. And when we get together to sing, we are reminding each other, Jesus is coming for us soon. So let's keep going. It's what strengthens the church when we sing like that. And we sang these words earlier, right? Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him? And we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed. And we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. We need, these, we need these songs weekly. I needed that song today. This world needs that hope. And it's the singing of the church that heralds that hope for this broken world and for our weary souls. Brothers and sisters, much more could be said about congregational singing and even more could be said about the how. But our hope by time together encourages you to not only worship God richly in your lives, but also to sing more loudly and more passionately and more thankfully, more worshipfully as you gather as a church. Let your song be heard because God created you to sing for his glory. Because he commands you to sing. Because in our singing, it's helping us to respond to God's grace. 
Because our singing realigns our affections to God. Our singing makes disciples of Jesus. Our singing builds the body of Jesus. And because our singing sets our eyes on eternity. And I pray that our singing today will carry through eternity soon when Jesus comes. I'd like to pray for us as we close our time. Father, we pray for this time. That as we reflect on that. And even as we grieve the brokenness of this world. Through prayer, through songs. We pray that you would give us faith. And as we commit God ourselves to the singing of the gospel, singing of your praises, addressing one another with songs, we pray that you would build your church and we pray that you would make that evident to us, Lord. We thank you for the gospel that has brought us together. We thank you for the word that was spoken. Help us now to respond to your grace with worship. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name.